You are listening to the Shoreline Church Podcast with Pastor Pilgrim Benham. For more content, visit thisisshoreline.com. Good morning. You guys good? Welcome to Shoreline, and uh, hopefully you have your Bibles. We're going to be covering the text that my friend Ken just read. And my name is Pastor Pilgrim Benham, the lead pastor here at Shoreline. And the Lord's just doing a remarkable work among us as a church. And during this time of year, it is a joy to look forward to Advent uh, as we wait for the arrival of King Jesus. And so uh, as we looked at last week, we were in the beginning of Luke chapter 2, And uh, we learned about the angels and their message to the shepherds. And and we saw them last week glorifying and praising God and basically telling the gospel uh, to the shepherds. And we looked at the focus of of their glorifying and praising that it was all about worship. And so this year we're looking at, uh, this time of year, the concept of worship when we think about Christmas. We all have our various traditions Some of them involve fruitcake. Why? I don't know. But some of you have your family traditions and uh, no no hate against fruitcake. But uh, essentially, we want to make sure that everything that we do, whatever our tradition is this time of year, it's about worshiping Jesus. Uh, Micah and I this week did a a fun Q&A Facebook Live, and we answered some of your questions about worship. And you can go back and watch that on our website. Um, and, and really just how important worship really is. It's a, it's a time of, of reflecting and glorifying and making much of who God is. And so to that end, we're going to look at um, a big section of Luke chapter 2 today. And I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive in and look at Simeon and Anna's worship as Jesus is presented back, given back to the Father. So if you'd bow your heads with me, let's ask God to bless his word today. Lord, thank you that people were here this morning, that they made it out uh, with the beautiful weather, with the, the early morning. We're here to worship and make much of you to align our lives under your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you're doing a special work in this community. We know we're not the only expression of the church in this particular region. There's many other fellowships around us. Would you bless them today? Lord, would you allow uh, pastors to step in the pulpit and preach the word today? Uh, not politics, not themselves, not their agendas, but your word. Uh, Lord, we pray that you'd be glorified in our community, and we thank you for this incredible opportunity this morning to study your word, uh, Lord, and to live our lives in such a way that's pleasing to you as we live obediently to your word. But Lord, we know we lack and we fail and we falter, so thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus, that we can look to him, the word made flesh, literally the word, the logos that came down and put on humanity. We thank you for who Jesus is in our lives and I pray that we would glorify you today as we open up our hearts and your word to receive from you. It's in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen, amen. All right, we're gonna need a little participation this morning. So how many of you love receiving gifts? You love getting gifts. It's okay if you do. That's not carnal. You can raise your hand. You can raise both hands if you really like getting gifts. You're not worshiping when you do that, but uh, I love getting gifts. It's one of those things, I enjoy it. Um, I, I've, through the years, gotten a lot of really good presents, and, and I was interested by this blog post this week. I was reading the top gifts of the 80s and the 90s, so this is going to connect, I think, with everyone. It's going to connect with those of you parents who were parents in the 80s, and you we're standing in line, because you couldn't order on Amazon back in the 80s, right? You had to actually stand in line and talk to a person, and actually they had to scan it, and you had to pay paper money, right? Remember traveler's checks? You actually had paper, right? And so I know it's a weird concept for you younger folks, but, but you guys understand that. And some of us were growing up in the 80s, and we wanted these presents 
Some of you have never heard of some of these presents, but we'll get to you uh, in the 90s. So let's look at these real quick. In 1980, the best gift of that year was, what is that? Very good. You guys know your stuff. Did anyone ever solve the Rubik's Cube? Okay, yeah, both of you. Good job, my smart friends. All right, I know who to call on. This is the best gift in 83. Does anybody remember getting the mongoose bike? It's got the pegs and the, yeah, I love that. Uh, I guess I was the only one. Um, enjoyed that bike and uh, really wanted it. Uh, in 84, this was not something I was into, but a lot of you gals, any gals into the cabbage patch? Now, I'm just gonna be honest, they're a little creepy. I don't know if you still have your cabbage patch. A little creepy to me. Um, there's a place in Georgia, I believe, Georgia or Tennessee, where they actually hatch. They actually have a cabbage patch, and you go and the nurses like birth the babies and the dolls, and then you pay for it. Really creepy. All right, anyway, um, I'm sure it's somebody's thing. All right, 84, 85, this is the top gift. This is an Optimus Prime Transformer. And uh, I actually asked for this for Christmas. I got three of them that year. I got one from my parents, one from my grandparents. And I, I don't know, some random person brought one. But uh, did I keep just one and get rid of the other two? Of course not. I kept all three. And so we had Optimus Prime, like dual universes. It was great. It was awesome. All right, in 86, what else would work in 86 but the laser tag outfit? Anybody remember doing laser tag? Maybe not at home, but you've been to the laser tag places. This was huge, and that's also how you dressed in 86 as well. So if it didn't work for laser tag, that doubled as a wardrobe. Uh, then there's this one for, for, I think, everyone. This crosses all, all kind of denominations, so to speak. Ninja Turtles. Did anybody have a Ninja Turtle set or any parents have to rush out and get those. They have a new generation, not as cool, but nonetheless, everybody had those. And then I think in 91, I don't even know what these are. This is beyond me. I was in high school at this point. Pogs, anybody know what those are? Yeah, <laughs> big fans in the back. <laughs> I know what those are. I know him. Okay. Um, I really don't know much about him, but apparently that was popular in 90, 91. Uh, and then 94. Okay, how many of you parents remember the frenzy of trying, you were that guy, you were that, anybody was that guy? Okay, good, praise the Lord, we have a sanctified group today. You weren't standing in line, fighting anyone, trying to take out your neighbors for the Tickle Me Elmo, okay? And, and talk about creepy, we're not even gonna go there today. Um, interesting, so these are the top gifts, the best gifts. There's also some really terrible gifts out there, really awful gifts. Uh, you know, those are the ones that you kind of hashtag re-gift, those are the ones that, you pass along to someone else. You don't even take it out of, the, out of the box. You just leave it. Or there's those gag gifts, those white elephant gift exchanges where you know it's going to be silly. At our community group this year, uh, someone brought some Beats headphones. And I really want to get a Lighthouse student with this. I want to say, hey, bro, I bought you some Beats. And for him, Pastor Pilgrim, you bought me Beats headphones? Yeah, I did. There you go, bro. Merry Christmas. And so, you know, the good news this morning is that even though we may get some really bad gifts from time to time, um, maybe there's dress socks. I actually enjoy getting socks. I'm weird. Um, the good news is every good and perfect gift comes to us from God, the scripture tells us. And in Luke chapter 2, we see the greatest gift that was ever given to us was actually given back to the Father. And so we're going to be introduced today, we just read it, uh, to two people a man named Simeon and a prophetess by the name of Anna. And so if you're taking notes today, we're gonna see how they worshiped Jesus. And if you're taking notes, uh, you can follow along on our, um, on our Bible app. We have an event on our Bible app, uh, or you can just take notes live. And so here's the uh, outline for today. First of all, 
in verses 21 through 24, we're gonna look at the practice of Mary and Joseph, the, quote, earthly parents of Jesus. And then in verses 25 through 32, we're gonna see the proclamation of Simeon, what he proclaims. And then in verses 33 through 35, he's gonna give us kind of a prophecy. He's gonna say something that is prophetic in nature that uh, we're gonna look at some aspects of. And then we're gonna be introduced to the prophetess Anna. Most of you, how many of you, be honest, it's okay if you've never heard of Anna or Simeon before today. How many of you have never heard of Anna or Simeon? All right, so everyone's heard of them. Okay, cool. And so we really um, want to begin in verse 21 and get an idea as we look at the practice of Mary and Joseph. Look at verse 21. It says, when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the capital C child, this is Jesus, uh, his name was called Jesus the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, we really can't overemphasize this verse. Uh, His name is Jesus. It's the name Joshua. God is salvation. Uh, This name was presented by Gabriel, the angel, to Mary uh, when her cousin Elizabeth was six months pregnant with John the Baptist. And so the concept of salvation is actually rooted and expressed in the name Jesus itself. I love that, that Jesus' actual name means salvation. Uh, uh, Paul explains in Romans 1.16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel uh, because it's the power of God to everyone who believes. Uh, It's the power of God to salvation. Acts 4.12, Peter and John basically say this, there is salvation, uh, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, amen? There's no other name that will ever arrive on the planet through which we can receive salvation other than the name of Jesus. And so Jesus has come into the world primarily, we talked about this this morning with our team, to save us from our sin. And Jesus accomplishes this salvation because of his perfect life and his subsequent brutal death by crucifixion. Jesus perfectly fulfilled the law and he rose again to redeem those of us who are under the law as we place our faith in him for salvation. So just think about how significant this birth was. The world was forever changed because of this verse that Jesus' salvation was born to us. Now in those days, it was inconsequential. This is eight days after Jesus was born. Life was going on, so to speak, business as usual. No one was paying attention to this. Uh, Charles Swindoll has a good point about that. He says in the year 1809, I don't have the quote on the screen, but he says um, in 1809, Napoleon was sweeping through Austria. And if there were news broadcasts at that time, this is what would have been heard. The destiny of the world is being shaped on an Austrian battlefield today. Uh, Swindoll says nobody cared then about babies being born, but the world was overlooking some of the most important, significant births. For example, William Gladstone was born in 1809. He became one of England's finest statesmen. That same year, Alfred Lord Tennyson was born to an obscure minister and his wife. One day he would mark the literary world in a big way. On the American continent, Oliver Wendell Holmes was born in Cambridge, and not far away in Boston, Edgar Allan Poe began his tragic and eventful life. It was also in that same year that a physician named Darwin and his wife named their child Charles Robert, 1809. But that same year produced the cries of a newborn infant in a rugged log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky. The baby's name was Abraham Lincoln. And Swindoll goes on basically to say, in that year, history was being shaped 
not on the battlefields, but in the cradles of England and America. And the same happened uh, the week that Jesus was born. The world was being changed, but no one noticed it. And so what we're gonna look at here is three practices in this section uh, that Mary and Joseph were doing that shows their, their devout nature to uh, Judaic law. So uh, if you're taking note, we're gonna look at three of them today. And these are easy to write down. The first one is Jesus' circumcision. Okay, it was customary uh, for Jewish boys to be circumcised. Notice it says on, on the eighth day or after eighth, eight days. And this is part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Uh, this, by the way, was also the day you named your child. So those of you parents, I know we name our kids when we find out we're pregnant. Oh, we, it's a girl. And so we pick a girl's name. Or, oh, I don't know if it's going to be a boy or a girl, but let's, let's have a name picked for both. We're going to do, we're going to name after grandpa. We're going to name after uh, someone on Stranger Things. Or you pick your names based on whatever. Well, they would do that on the, the eighth day after birth. And so as the boy was circumcised, they would also name them. Uh, and so uh, originally, John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, was going to be named Zacharias after his dad. But the angel, angel Gabriel said, no, 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 you're going to name him John, which means God is gracious. Uh, in Philippians 3.5, Paul says, there's some credentials I had as a legalistic Jew. And one of them was that I was circumcised on the eighth day. And so this is something that we would practice in Judaism. Now, interestingly, medical science just discovered that um, the blood clotting in a newborn is at its, its um, kind of pinnacle uh, on day eight. So medical science corroborates God's wisdom in waiting until the eighth day for circumcision. Now, obviously, God knows what he's doing. So that was the first ceremony that they practiced was the circumcision and naming of Jesus. Uh, but there's a second one. Look at verse 22, and that's Mary's purification. It says in verse 22, when the days of her purification, Mary's, according to the law of Moses, were completed. They waited for that purification. Then they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. And we'll get into that in a minute. But notice verse 23. It says, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb, that's a colloquialism that basically means the firstborn, uh, shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord. And here it is, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. Now someone here is going, oh, two turtle doves? No, we're not singing that today, okay? The song, you could argue, is biblical, but what's going on here? Very insightful stuff when we read that phrase. Notice it, according to the law of the Lord. You guys note that? It's mentioned five times in this section, according to the law, according to the Lord, according to the word. Now, when it says in verse 22, the days of her purification, according to the law of Moses, um, this is very specific. So according to Leviticus 12, um, this would be day 40 for a male uh, and day 80 for a female. So if you had a boy, you'd have to wait 40 days to go in and make this sacrifice. And if you were a child that was a daughter, uh, you would bring your family in on day 80. So very specific. Uh, and what would happen is the mom would bring in for an offering for her purification because of the blood. She would basically bring uh, an option. You can either bring a lamb as a burnt offering. Or if you're lower income, not super low income, but moderately low income, you could bring a, a turtle dove or a young uh, pigeon. Actually, you brought all three of those. Um, but lower income, you would just bring a second uh, turtle dove or young pigeon. Now, if you were really broke, I'm talking like, like college, 
really, like you're eating ramen noodles. At this point, you're scraping money out of the couch cushions, that type of poverty. Then, uh, you know, the guys that are playing, you know, World of Warcraft till 4 a.m. Um, you, you could bring a fine portion of fine flour without oil and frankincense. So um, they're not at that poverty level, but we read here that they brought the extra turtle dove uh, or the young pigeon. So they're, they're in that middle class, lower income bracket, but not the desperately low income. I think it's interesting, the scriptures tell us in 2 Corinthians 8, uh, Paul says this to the church in Corinth, for you, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you by his poverty might become rich. Now, a lot of people misquote that verse and they try to push their uh, kind of financial fundraising agenda on us, but this is taking it deeper that, listen, Jesus was rich in the glories of heaven and yet he traded that to put on human flesh for our sake so that we could exchange our sin for his righteousness and that we could become rich in the glories of heaven. But in a real and literal sense, Jesus was born into a poor family. I think sometimes it's hard for us to picture like the fact that Jesus was born into a family with parents. Uh, he was born into a family with uncles and aunts and grandparents and traditions and memories and neighborhoods. Jesus, in the fullest sense of the idea of being incarnate, he came in the flesh. And in the context of community, and his immediate family, they were not wealthy. They were not prominent. They weren't the, the royalty of the day. And so that should really encourage those of us who are maybe lower income or poor, that, that even Jesus is familiar with our plight. And we can trust our lives to him. Even his family was poor. And someone joked and said, even Jesus' family was broke at Christmas. Anyway, um, there's something else that's happening here. Um, the two turtle doves are not the only thing offered. Um, Mary and Joseph, this is implied from the Old Testament, they also would have brought five shekels with them. They would have brought five shekels. Uh, and that's because of the third ceremony that's happening here. If you're taking note on the screen, and this is Jesus' dedication. Jesus' dedication. Now, above your verse, in your Bible, you should see something like Jesus presented in the temple or Mary and Joseph bring Jesus to the temple, something along those lines. Okay? Uh, note verse 23, it says that being a firstborn male... Um, they're supposed to bring him to Jerusalem and present him to the Lord. Now, track with me for a minute. You guys ready? Can you stay with me for a few minutes? Okay, so here's what would happen. If you were a firstborn male, any fir I'm a firstborn male. My dad's here today. It's awesome to see him here, my grandparents. So if you're a firstborn male, yeah. So if that was us born, what would happen is um, we would come uh, to Jerusalem. We'd be set apart for sacred purposes. I know, I know we're pretty awesome, but we'd be set apart literally as holy to the Lord. And so this was a memory of, remember back, the Passover, the firstborn who were ultimately delivered, right? If you were firstborn, you were gonna die unless you had the blood above and on the side of the doorposts of your home. So this is kind of looking back, the sprinkling of blood. And so in lieu of these, instead of that, God said, hey, you know what? Let's set aside an entire tribe. Instead of all the firstborn males, let's just set aside a whole tribe. We're gonna dedicate a whole tribe to the Lord, and that tribe is Levi. Levi was dedicated, set apart, sacred in their vocation. Their whole job, their whole existence was just to work for the Lord. In Numbers chapter three, set apart. So it's kind of a cool game plan. Instead of every single firstborn, we just set aside a whole tribe. Makes it easier to keep count. That means, when we put it on the screen, a little math equation. If we took the whole tribe of Levi, um, basically, uh, God adds everyone up. He's like, Moses, let's add it up. So we add everyone up. We have 22,000 from the tribe of Levi. And then the rest of Israel, 
that wasn't of Levi, there was 22,273. I know you're getting lost here. But basically, we had 273 extra people, right? Extra firstborn. And so to make it kind of even, to make it kind of fair, what God did was say, all right, I want everyone, uh, this is, remember, before Siri, before calculators. So he said, I want to take everyone who's in that 273, and they're going to bring five shekels each to kind of be this price of redemption. You've been bought, and we're setting Levi aside. And so from now on, every time there's a firstborn male, bring five shekels. And it was kind of a tradition. It was like paying the price of redemption. I've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb. Here's Levi. He's set apart. I wasn't born of Levi, but I'm a firstborn, so I'm going to pay back to Levi five shekels. You guys with me? You tracking with me? It was paying the price of redemption. Now, interestingly, Jesus' parents, as he's the firstborn, come to bring him into the temple. They would have had five shekels as a token of consecration, setting him aside as the Lord's. Isn't that awesome? That Jesus, before he was given at Calvary, was already offered back to the Father at day eight, between day eight and day 40, uh, or right after 40. I think that's amazing that Jesus was dedicated. By the way, that's why we don't do baby baptism here at Shoreline, or pedo baptism. We don't believe in that uh, because it's scriptural for us to be dedicated. Jesus wasn't baptized as a baby, he was dedicated. He was actually baptized as an adult to fulfill all righteousness. So we practice believer's baptism, uh, and we practice baby dedications here at Shoreline. And if you still want to bring five shekels when you do that, we'll take it, all right? It's fine if you insist. Now, notice um, how obedient and God-fearing Mary and Joseph were. Parents, look at this. You see this phrase, according to the law of the Lord, the law of Moses, the law of the Lord. Five times in Luke chapter 2, they're trying to obey, fulfill the law. Jesus' earthly parents were submitted to the scriptures, Remember, Jesus didn't come to abolish the law, but to abide by it, to fulfill it, to completely submit to the law, and in doing so, to not transgress the law, but to be put to death under the law so that we could walk not under law, but under grace. That's what we're called to live, is under grace. John Piper said this, this child did not grow up in a hotbed of sectarianism, but in a poor and deeply devout Jewish household where he was taught all things according to the law of the Lord. So the era of the law and the prophets may be passing away, but it is not because Jesus opposes the law and the prophets, but he fulfills them. I love how devout Mary and Joseph are. They're walking in the word. They just wanna do what's right and pleasing in the Lord's eyes. Parents, listen, this is the secret to successful parenting. Uh, You're not to raise your children in the fear of dad, but the fear of God. You're not to impress upon your children your family's wisdom, but the fear of the Lord, which is the beginning of wisdom. Uh, You're not to berate and belittle and terrorize your kids, but to set them an example that's worthy of following. Uh, Dads, are you a dad that is embodying the word of God? Moms, are you teaching your children how to memorize scripture, how to just cherish Uh, the Lord and how to serve him. Uh, I want to show you guys a picture of uh, my grandparents. They didn't know I was going to do this today, but I had planned it even before knowing they'd be here. But this is in a time when selfies weren't even invented by Paris Hilton yet. But uh, my grandparents, uh, a long time ago, were just finding themselves frustrated and overwhelmed with parenting. They had six boys of various ages. And uh, as parents, they were like, we just need some help. 
And so uh, they're taking communion and the uh, pastor encouraged them, just go out in the woods and pray and spend time seeking the Lord. And so they went out and they sat on a log and grandpa said, here, let's turn the camera around. And he kind of invented that 50 years prior to the actual invention of a selfie and snapped that picture and they just dedicated their kids to the Lord. And they said, Lord, we don't know what we're doing. Please help us. We pray for your strength. We pray for your help. Lead us, direct us. We just give our kids to you. And that prayer that, that he prayed, he still remembers to this day. Uh, and, and their story, my grandparents' story, may be different than your story. But all of us this morning, whether your parents, uh, your kids are out of the house, all of us can, in a sense, dedicate our kids to the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know what I'm doing. I need your help. My kids are grown. They're out of the home. But Lord, help me to be an example that's worthy of following. I need your guidance, Lord. If your kids are young, Lord, help me to raise these rugrats. They're, they're driving me insane. I can't do this, Lord, without you. I know a lot of you parents pray that desperate prayer. Lord, don't help me not to kill them. Help me, Lord. Help me, Lord. Right? And so I just want to encourage you to dedicate them to the Lord. And that's what Jesus' parents do. They, they submit him to the Father. Now, as that happens, I want us to meet an elderly man waiting in the temple, and I want us to hear his proclamation. Look at verse 25 with me. It says, behold, behold. That's a very important word. There was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was just, and he was devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And that was before Acts chapter 2. And notice that it says that it had been revealed to him, verse 26, by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Wow, this is amazing. A lot to unpack here. Let's break it down. First, the word behold. Circle that, underline it, highlight it. It means look or notice or see, behold. And remember, Luke, the doctor, the historian, he's written an account for his dear friend Theophilus, whose name means beloved by God. And he's telling him, hey, Theophilus, I want to tell you about the personal work of Jesus. Later, he writes the sequel to Luke called Acts uh, and tells him what happens to the early church after Jesus ascends and the Holy Spirit empowers the church. But you can almost see Luke kind of putting an asterisk on this section and saying, hey, hey, Theophilus, hey, pay attention to this. This is amazing. Uh, don't miss it. And Charles Spurgeon said, behold is a word of wonder. It's intended to excite admiration. Wherever you see it hung out in Scripture, it's like an ancient signboard signifying that there are rich wares within. Or like the hands which solid readers have observed in the margin of the older Puritanic books, drawing attention to something particularly worthy of observation. I would add, behold is like a divine highlighter, a divine underlining of an especially striking or important text. It says in effect, listen up, all ye who would be wise in the ways of Jehovah. So he says, hey, behold, here it is. There's a man in Jerusalem, and his name is Simeon. Uh, the name Simeon means the Lord has heard. The Lord has heard. Isn't that an awesome promise? The Lord has heard. God hears. Now, it says that he's two things. It says that he's devout and that he's just. Okay? Just speaks to his relationship uh, to man. Okay? He's just. He's fair. He's agreeable. He's a good guy. You kind of say, oh, that guy's a good guy. He's solid. I mean, literally, you can translate just as righteous. He's a righteous guy. He's right on. But not only that, he's devout. And that's his relationship to the Lord. Uh, the word devout means to take hold of well. I want us to be a church that takes hold of God well. That we're devout. And so he's God-fearing. He's a man who carefully observed and obeyed God's law. So this old man, can you just picture it in your mind's eye? There's Jesus, his 
his earthly parents, and then this old man kind of walks in. He's waiting his entire life, living righteously, living devoutly, and for some reason we know that he has this sense the Lord reveals to him, you're going to actually see the Lord's Christ. You're going to see the Messiah before you die. And so this particular morning was a little bit different. We don't know what it is. Maybe he had a little spring in his step. Maybe he drank his V8. He's ready to go. He walks in the temple. And, and here is this couple walking in. And suddenly he begins to dedicate him to the Lord. And so uh, notice what he's waiting for in verse 20. Uh, five, he's waiting for the consolation of Israel. We're just saying that. Uh, the word uh, means spirit, uh, the, the spirit of encouragement, the spirit of comfort. Um, he's waiting for the comfort of the Holy Spirit. And it says that the Holy Spirit, verse 25, was upon him. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And this is before the Spirit had come at Pentecost. The Spirit in the Old Testament uh, would continually be at work. There was a special time when the Spirit of God came at Pentecost. But uh, I would just argue this morning, just on this note, we need to be like Simeon. We need to be those who look for the encouragement of the Lord and who are empowered by the Holy Spirit. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And I don't mean that, by the way, in an emotional way. When I say we need the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm not saying we need an emotion uh, or an experiential kind of thing. You know, what, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, I'm hoping I get empowered by the Holy Spirit. It means I want goosebumps and I want a smile on my face. I just want to start hugging people. I'm empowered by the Holy Spirit. I'm loving my wife now. This is great. And then the Spirit's gone. I'm like, what are you doing, honey? Like, I, I don't want to speak of that type. I'm talking about the empowering of the Holy Spirit to do the work that God has called us to do and to be the witnesses that he's called us to be. Amen? We need to be a church that's empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what he's called us to do and be who he's called us to be. And I love that Simeon is, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He's empowered uh, to finish his life well and to embrace Christ. Uh, I think that's so important. I think many churches, the power of the Holy Spirit is lacking. It's missing. And we could say the glory is gone from those churches. The glory's departed. Where's the glory? The name Ichabod, by the way, means the glory is gone. There is no glory. There's no power. I think a lot of churches might change their name to Ichabod First Church. Ichabod Church, sermonettes for Christianettes, entertainment every Sunday, 8.30 and 10, Bible optional, right? Uh, Ichabod means there is no glory. And, and I think that ultimately that's because pastors are dead instead of being empowered by the Holy Spirit. A people in the pews or the seats are in bondage when they should be free because when the Spirit of the Lord is in a congregation, there's freedom. I think marriages are lifeless when they should be full of joy because the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy. And so when the Spirit comes upon us, there should be this change where we go from timid hermits to wanting to spread the good news about Christ. And so I think it's interesting that the Holy Spirit is at work before Pentecost. Throughout the Old Testament, the Spirit of God was coming upon people uh, before baptizing the church with power. John MacArthur says this, the Holy Spirit uh, convicted people in the Old Testament of sin, of their sin, promoted repentance, gave life, elicited faith, drew them to God. Apart from the Spirit's work, no person in any age can ever be justified, sanctified, empowered for service and witness, understand Scripture, or pray in the will of God. We, like Simeon, we need to be empowered by the Spirit and led by the Spirit. Uh, and we also need to be looking for and waiting for Jesus. So note in verse 26, the Trinity. Do you see that? It says, it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. That's speaking of the Father. 
And so let's read on. Verse 27, it says, So he came, here it is again, by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the Christ, or in the child Jesus, to do for him, here it is again, according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. Uh, Incredible. You guys see this mental picture, the, the old man picking up the hope of all creation, the Savior of the world, our Lord Jesus, holding him in his arms and then blessing God. What a picture of worship. Uh, the child resting in, in his arms is the same one that Simeon is resting all of his hope for salvation in. Oh, that we would do the same, to take Christ in our arms and to do what Simeon did, to bless God. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, the scripture calls you sinner. You've been running, you've been closing your arms to the love and the grace that would be yours. And this morning, Christ implores you, take me into your arms, receive me. Uh, I've come to save. Uh, And when you do that, we bless God and we take hold of Christ today. As some of you, like Simeon, you've been waiting, you've been watching for whatever it was that would save you. You're looking, you're hoping uh, to give you hope, to lift you up, to set you free, give you peace. And all along, it was simply embracing Jesus. Oh, that you would take him up today in your arms today. Uh, let's look at verse 29 at the proclamation of Simeon. Look at his song, known as the, in Latin, the nuke dimittis. Uh, it means now depart. And here's his song, verse 29. It says, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. <laughs> For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. Okay? Now, if you're taking note, notice Simeon here is happy to die. After reading Ecclesiastes, some of us are like, yeah, I'm happy to die as well. I'm glad we got through that book. It's, it's, it's heavy. All right? So he's saying, hey, I can now depart in peace. I can die fulfilled. Can you say the same prayer this morning? He says, my eyes have seen your salvation. Uh, now, the Jews who would be listening to this, they certainly were expecting salvation. Uh, they were expecting salvation, though, from their enemies, right? We want our guys to win. Uh, we want to make sure that we get rid of Rome, right? They wanted salvation from enemies, not from sin. And so, remember, Jesus didn't come to save Israel politically, but spiritually. And I wonder if you can echo the, the same words of Simeon. Hey, my eyes have seen salvation, Now, don't be confused. Simeon's song is not merely a salvation song. It is a salvation song, but if you're reading between the lines, it's also a missionary hymn. Now, for the Jew, this song would have been a little confusing. Now, for Luke's audience, Gentile, they would have been standing up and clapping. Yeah, this is amazing. Right, so again, Jesus, notice he says, brings salvation to all people, a light to reveal God to the Gentiles. Does everyone know what a Gentile is here today? If you're a non-Jew, you are a Gentile, okay? Go ahead and look at the person next to you, and for the most part, just tell them you're a Gentile. It's probably true. You're a Gentile this morning. It's okay. No, not you're gentle. You're a Gentile. You're a Gentile, okay? Now listen, the Jews would be amening this. Amen, you're the glory of your people Israel. Yeah, but wait, did he just say a light to the Gentiles? Wait, hold on. Simeon, what are you doing? You're getting old. You're getting senile, bro. I don't know if you really meant to say that. Now, we don't have time to jump into that study today. It's an awesome study. But listen, God's plan for the Gentiles was never an afterthought. Isaiah speaks of it, as do many of the prophets in the Old Testament. It was God's desire all along to bless Israel to be a blessing to the nations. I've blessed you so that you will be a blessing. I've called you, I've elected you, I've set you apart so that you would be a blessing to all people. 
And so I am thankful, as all of you Gentiles, I'm so thankful to be counted in that number uh, and receive the light, the revelation of Christ. For me, it was age four. I realized at age four, I am a filthy, rotten sinner, and I have lived my four years in total depravity. I'm an absolute sinner. Thank God for his mercy and grace and kindness in Christ, and I received Jesus. Uh, my life would make a difference at an early age and not be squandered. And so um, you and I, in the same way, have received Jesus. Notice that, that Simeon says in verse 31, which you have prepared. I mean, notice that. You've prepared it. It's divinely provided. It's divinely prepared. It's divinely delivered. Listen, let me just clarify something. Maybe you're you grew up in church. Let me just clarify something. Salvation doesn't, doesn't belong to you. It doesn't originate with you. Religion says do, but Christianity says done. Religion says three little words, get to work. And what does Christianity say? It is finished, right? It is, it's done. Religion says try with work. Christianity says rest by faith. And so God prepared salvation. And notice here that, that Simeon says it's prepared before the face of all peoples, all peoples. Would you circle that word all? I looked it up in the Greek. I want to get a deep meaning. Guess what? It means all. It means all. All means all. Uh, all people. Uh, recently, I was filling out some paperwork for healthcare.gov, and I'm filling this paperwork out, and it said, what's your ethnicity? And I was like, well, that's a little personal. Is that going to affect my healthcare? What are you wondering? And so I had the option, Asian, Black African descent, East Indian, Latino, Hispanic, Middle Eastern, Native American, Pacific Islander, white Caucasian, and then other. They're like, we're just, we're just going to put other. And so I'm, I'm looking through that, and I'm like, you know what? This speaks to our text this morning. So I took a screenshot and shared it. That speaks to our text. All people, everyone on that list can check out, I'm available to be saved. Jesus saved me. He can even save me. It's come to all people. Simeon says, you can check all those off. Jesus came to save all, and no one is outside his grasp. Listen, if you're here this morning, you go, yeah, but pastor, you don't understand my past. You don't understand the things that I've done. I want you to know this morning, salvation has come to all people, and there's no one beyond his reach, no one beyond his graceful grasp. What an amazing proclamation. And so he says in verse uh, 29, Lord, you're letting me, your servant, depart. I can die now. Uh, my life is complete. I finally fulfilled the purpose of my life. And so he gives in this moment a prophecy to Jesus' earthly parents. And we have the benefit, as Mary would have recounted this later, uh, to the apostles and then to Luke, uh, we get this story. So look at verse 33. It says, Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. They marveled. Circle that word marvel. It means amazed. It's used by Luke later in chapter eight when, remember, Jesus calms the wind and the waves. He's asleep and gets up in the boat and says, what are you guys worried about? And he, he just speaks to the wind and the waves and they calm. And, and they looked at each other in fear and amazement, same word, in marvel. And they said, who is this? And he's a great teacher, but he can also stop the wind and the waves. Who is this? They were amazed. Same word. Verse 34, then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, his mother, behold, there's that word again, pay attention, Mary, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against, yes, and then Luke puts this in parentheses, almost as if Simeon is whispering to Mary. You can almost picture him saying, hey, I've got something special for you, Mary. Verse 35, yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also. 
that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. You almost have a parenthetic kind of set aside idea here in verse 35. Okay, notice uh, that Simeon blesses Joseph and Mary and then he prophesies specifically to Mary. Okay, so there's four aspects to this prophecy that are instructive to us. Take a note, jot these down. These are helpful, okay, as we follow along in the text. First of all, we'll just put them all up on the screen. Prophecy, uh, first part is that many in Israel would receive and reject Jesus. Okay, he says that uh, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel, okay? Uh, many would fall to destruction and judgment by rejecting Jesus. It's not any different today with us Gentiles. Uh, today you have the opportunity to receive Jesus and, and thus to rise or to reject him. There's no middle ground. Like, you know, me and JC are good. Like, you know, I remember singing that song, Jesus is still all right with me. And, and I'm good, I'm good. J, JC and I are tight, we're good. I'm friends with the man upstairs. Well, you either are gonna receive or reject. So there's no kind of middle ground like, you're okay with Jesus. You don't just dismiss him. Uh, and so the same is true outside of Israel. But secondly, notice that Simeon says, this man, Jesus, will be universally opposed. Simeon states this child is appointed for a sign that will be opposed. Okay, there's a special significance connected with the Messiah. Just his presence on earth is gonna incite opposition. The fact that Jesus is born um, it's gonna be a sign which is spoken against. And today, the same can be true. You have Christ in you. So don't you sense this? When you walk into a situation, there's opposition suddenly. Why? Not because of some spiritual thing necessarily, but the fact that you represent Christ. I don't want anything to do with Christ. It's not that they're hating you, it's that they hate who's in you. They hate Jesus. They don't just hate the servant, they hate the master. And so you know this, you hang out with some of your family, they, they oppose Christ, they're against him. And you're just sitting there. I know Jen and I went to a party one time with family and everyone was drinking and we weren't making anyone feel bad. We were just kind of sitting there and everyone's like, what, are you, what is your guy's problem? And we had this just stressful situation. People were feeling convicted. They're putting their beers down. We didn't say anything. It's not like we walked in and said, oh, what are you, guys, what are you drinking? Is that water? No, it's not. I mean, we weren't having that attitude. We were just in the moment, in the presence. And Christ in us is universally opposed. One person said this, Jesus is history's dividing ridge. The whole world is affected in one way or another by Mary's son. Never does one hear the gospel and not fall or rise under the hearing of it. Neutrality is forever impossible. Okay? So Simeon says hey, this is going to be a sign that's opposed. But then he says something remarkable and a little odd. He kind of leans into Mary and he says, hey, a sword is going to pierce through your heart also, through your soul also. Now, what does he mean? Now, Luke obviously received much of his information from Mary herself or from the apostles, and so she's holding on to this prophecy from the very beginning of Jesus' life. This would have stood out to her. This old man kind of whispering this cryptic thing to her where he says, hey, there's gonna be a sword that pierces your soul one day also. Okay? Ultimately, this sword refers to Rome at whose hands her son would face capital punishment. Remember, guys, no one killed Jesus. We have to make sure we understand this theologically. Jesus gave up his spirit. He gave up his life, right? So no one took it from him. He laid down his life. But then after the earthquake, a Roman soldier, remember, confirmed Jesus had already died by piercing his side with the sword and blood and water flowed. Uh, medically, the pericardium, the outer kind of uh, sack of fluid around the heart had burst, uh, meaning that Jesus had confirmed, had already died. And so... 
Mary at the cross would have seen this sword pierce Jesus' side, his heart, so to speak. And so Simeon is prophesying directly to her at that moment, hey, the sword in that day, it's gonna pierce your soul also. And I think the final thing is interesting, number four, that Simeon says, with Jesus, a person's inward heart is gonna be revealed. Uh, you can only fake it till you make it with Jesus for so long. So eventually his truth, the truth will come out. And he's gonna reveal if you're a true believer or if you're a hypocrite. This morning, a lot of us pretend when really we can have everything that we've really desired in Christ. And it comes through honest repentance and allowing Jesus to take our life. Some of our leadership have talked about this recently. We don't wanna, we don't wanna play church. Is anyone interested in playing church? I'm not. I don't wanna just kind of, kind of come and go through the proverbial motions and just do the outward thing, right? And a moment ago, we just did, we did the greeting. And sometimes we can go, hi, I don't really care about you. Hey, good morning, how you doing? I don't really want you to answer that. I'm fine too. And uh, oh, hey, your breath smells. All right, good morning. Can I get some coffee? Stop greeting me. And we don't really honestly want to be vulnerable with each other. And ultimately, the gospel, as, as Simeon reveals, you know what? The thoughts of many hearts are going to be revealed. A lot of us invite Jesus to follow us rather than surrendering our lives to follow Jesus. And that's because the cross is a stumbling block to the Jews. Or more likely, the message of the kingdom, the covenant that Christ brings, uh, will bring many to fall or reject him uh, and reject him. But it also will lead to a rising, a resurrection. Uh, and this sign, the sign of Jonah, of rising on the third day, is still opposed. Uh, even today, people still stumble over this news. They stumble over this message. And, and the, the revealing of their hearts uh, comes clear. Back in 2012 in New York, there was a group called the uh, American Atheists. I don't know what they believe, but uh, uh, the American Atheists basically put a big uh, sign in Times Square. And let's zoom in a little bit more. Here's what it looks like. They said, keep the Mary, but dump the myth. American Atheist or Atheist.org. And I was curious about what exactly was a myth about Jesus? What specific was the myth? Was it his existence, his birth, his death, his resurrection? I'd love to know because it's actually laughable simply to speak to the reality uh, and the historicity of Jesus's life. And so, listen, it's not that people can't believe uh, or understand, it's that they won't. They're seeing, but they're they're not perceiving. It's not a matter of I can't believe, it's I won't. So as the Jews stumbled in Jesus' day, they still stumble today. And Simeon says this ultimately is what will happen with this child. Now we do baby dedications here. Usually I'll pray for the child and we'll read some scripture and then I'll offer up kind of a prayer specifically for the, the child's future and uh, just kind of pray something you know, to the effect of whatever they're gonna be. I know when I was a baby, uh, the pastor took me up in his arm, and I, I guess I cried or something, or burped, I don't know, I did something, and the pastor said, oh, he's gonna be a preacher one day. And my parents kinda hung on to that. I don't know if they were sneaking little words, like, you should be a preacher one day, son. Um, but I remember I was age four, and I was wondering, what am I gonna be when I grow up? And I was thinking about being a garbage man. I had all these great you know, ideas out there I wanted to do, and, uh, and ultimately, uh, that was something that, it wasn't prophesied necessarily, but at my baby dedication, it was something special. And so we love celebrating uh, with parents and, and dedicating children. And here we see a clear word of what Jesus is gonna fulfill. But there was another person in the temple that day. There's an old man, Simeon, but there's an old woman. And verse 36 introduces us to her. Her name is Anna. She's a prophetess. Verse 36 says that she's of the tribe of Asher. Uh, it says she was 
of a great age. That's an understatement. We'll read why in a minute. She had lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. Okay, so she got married at a certain age. Uh, and she lived with him for seven years, and then he died. She says, uh, it says in verse 37, she was a widow for 84 years after the seventh year that he died. So if you're tracking with me, she's got to be over 100 years old for sure, right? Because she didn't get married at age 10. She's, she's you know, like a teen or older. And so it says in verse 38, coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Israel. I think it's interesting that this woman never left the temple. She's a prophetess. That simply meant that she spoke the word of God. She would fast, she would pray, she would serve God night and day and night and day. And being of this great age, it didn't hold her back from just serving the Lord. And notice that it was spiritual strength, not physical strength. Notice Anna wasn't planting any churches or overseeing any ministries. Anna wasn't involved in overseas mission work or on any boards or committees. Anna was simply serving God in her old age. How? By praying and seeking him first. So all of us today have that opportunity, no matter where you're at. You may say, I don't have the physical strength to help with that setup team. All right, I'm pushing 80, there's no way. But you have the ability, like Anna, to serve the Lord uh, by praying and fasting. And so in that moment, she walks into the temple and sees this man, this wife, this baby, and this older man, Simeon. And so she begins to uh, basically come up and she starts thanking the Lord and then she starts speaking about the Lord, a gospel message to those who looked for redemption in Israel. I love this picture. Everyone who's looking for redemption says, I got a word for you, here he is. It's found in him. If you're looking to be bought back, to be saved, to be redeemed, it's found in this child. Notice from Simeon and Anna, we learn how to worship Jesus. Have you tracked with us? We learn that worship involves looking for and seeing Jesus. Worship involves offering our lives in service to the Lord. And worship involves speaking, speaking words of thanks and words of redemption. It includes rejoicing and blessing God with others. And so as we close this morning, I wanna invite the band forward and we're gonna close in song. And I think it's really interesting that Jesus was dedicated to the Father in this text, was presented back to him. We talked at the beginning about gifts, good gifts, lame gifts. Here's Jesus, a gift given back to the Lord. Because one day, Jesus would be presented to the Father, not as a child, but as a lamb, as a lamb that was slain that takes away the sin of the world. And I wonder, as Simeon took the child in his arms, have you done the same with Jesus? Have you received Christ? Martin Luther wrote an awesome uh, kind of short verse about this. He said, ah, dearest Jesus, holy child, make thee a bed soft, undefiled within my heart that it may be a quiet chamber kept for thee. My heart for very joy doth leap. My lips no more can silence keep. I too must sing with joyful tongue that sweetest ancient cradle song. Glory to God in highest heaven who unto man his son hath given while angels sing with pious mirth a glad new year to all the earth. What an inexpressible gift we've been given in Christ. Listen, when we give gifts this year, there's three things that every gift has to have if it's really a gift. And I want you to close your Bibles, get settled in for a minute.
There's three things that every gift needs in order to be a gift. First of all, it has to be given freely, meaning there's no strings attached. You've heard of Indian giving? There's no hidden strings when it comes to salvation by grace through faith. Jesus was given freely and with no cost to you can you come to the fountain and drink. The cost was Christ's life, his blood, and he gave it freely. It had a great cost, but he gave it to us freely. Secondly, a gift needs to be given fully. You have to give it completely. You don't give part of it. Hey, son, I'm giving you the car, but I'm keeping the title, I'm keeping the car keys. I'll gas it up when I know you give the thing fully. Jesus wasn't somewhat given to you. He's given to you completely. And listen, he longs to fill our hearts with joy if we would receive him fully, not halfway. There's not this idea that, hey, just come to saving faith and that's it. No, that's repentance and faith. We need to repent. We need to turn from our sin. We don't invite Jesus to come into our life. All right, Jesus, now I'm gonna have you follow me. No, I need to repent. I need to turn from my sin. I need to now turn to Christ. I'm not gonna take the benefits of Christ and then leave out the others because of inconvenience. Today, God wants you to completely yield to his spirit. A gift is given freely, it's given fully, but it's also given for someone. It's not for you, it's for someone else. Now, my wife, Jen, at White Elephant Gift Exchanges, it's a joke. We always go in and we try to get the gift that we bring to the White Elephant Gift Exchange. We bring the gift and we hope to get it back. It's kind of a funny thing. But listen, the gift we're bringing is not for us, it's for the other person. And here's the cool thing, guys. Theologically, ultimately, God receives the glory for what he's given us in Christ. But theologically, Jesus didn't die for us. He died for the Father. Jesus was an offering to God, even here at an eight-day-old infant. Jesus was given to the Father, and because of that, because of that, he was also given for us, for our sin, to redeem for us a people for God that's set free and holy, separated. Do you know this morning that Christ was given to the Father for you? Would you turn and receive him? There's a story I wanna close with. There's a ruler who was a wise king and he loved his people and he just wanted to know, how do, how do my people in my kingdom live? I wanna know about their hardships. So he dressed up in the clothes of a common man, a beggar, and he started visiting the homes of the poor. And, and no one thought that that was the king who would visit them. And so on one occasion, he visited one of the most poor man, uh, men in his kingdom. And he sat down and he ate the grovel that the man was eating. And later he came back and he visited the poor man and he said, kind of took off his, his outer cloak and he said, I'm your king. And he thought that the man would say, oh, well, thank you for being here. May I have a gift because I'm poor? But here's what the man said. The man said, you left your palace in your glory to visit me in this dark, dreary place. You came to me and you ate the food that I ate and you drank the drink that I drank. You brought gladness to my heart because to others you gave rich gifts, but to me you gave your very self. You see, that's what Jesus has done for us, guys. He's given himself, the King of glory, the Lord Jesus gave himself to the Father and to us. And the Bible calls him the unspeakable gift. We're redeemed. And Anna would say, if you're longing for redemption, looking for it, it's found in him, it's found in Jesus. And so today, don't forget, the babe in the manger would one day be the lamb that was slain, the man on the cross. He came to redeem us, to buy us back from our sin. And so the only re appropriate response for us this time of year today 
is just an adoration and an overflow of joy to say, thank you, Lord. You're our redeemer. Help me, Lord, to get this redemptive message out to all who would hear. Mithra is not the reason for the season. Santa is not the reason. Jesus is the reason for this. It's all about Jesus. Amen? Let's stand together. We'll close in song. Father, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for redemption. Thank you for Jesus. Like Simeon, would you empower us by your spirit to embrace Christ, to reveal to others who Jesus is? Like Anna, to celebrate and to point those who are longing for redemption to the only hope that this earth has ever known, the only name by which we can receive salvation, the name Jesus. Thank you, Father, for sending your son. We glory in him, our redeemer, this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship. Thanks for listening to the Shoreline Church Podcast. For more content or to learn more about Jesus, visit thisisshoreline.com.